Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You've probably heard of the person Abraham. Started with the name Abram, then it moved to the word Abraham because God was ramping up who this famous man was. You heard about the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Newton. No, 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 not Newton, you know. But it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Abraham really is first mentioned in Genesis. Now, you have to listen to this history here because what Paul is doing now is he is building a huge case that is by faith alone in Christ alone and is going to talk about the whole Jewish nation and how they fit into this whole economy. And even to today, while there may be all of this going on in in, um, Israel with all the attacks going against the Jews, it all fits to a bigger eternal plan of God. So Abraham is selected in... uh, I guess you could say in Genesis chapter 11, the word Genesis means beginnings. It's the first book of the Bible. So it's the kind of the beginning of teachings that God wants us to know. And he's beginning to teach us about salvation. It's the beginning of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. So it's a book of beginnings. But it's not until chapter 12 that the Lord really starts turning up the volume. Out of all these people that lived, he handpicked this guy named Abram. We'll now refer to him as Abraham. As Abraham. And it's through this man, Abraham, that he begins to launch the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. Now, of course, we see a lot of the Jewish people today. And if you look at different cultures and different um, religious cultures, you're going to find that they have their own way, perhaps, of getting to heaven. And we'll look at the Jewish people and how they often will see certain things that are necessary to be a part of their salvation experience. That gets back to the word circumcision. The Jews will say, I am a true Jew, the men, if I've been circumcised. We talked all about that last week or two weeks ago. I urge you to get that message to hear the details of it. The challenge we have with that teaching is that we know from Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham was selected. He was given a promise. Actually, there was about six of those in this kind of cluster of promises. He was given the promise. But it wasn't until 14 years later that he was circumcised. He was given the promise. He came to faith in the Lord, believed in the Lord. It was put on his account that he was righteous. And when he died, he stood before God righteous, not based on him being circumcised. So circumcision is important. It's an outward sign generally of an inward act of faith and it identified him with the Jewish people. And so again, circumcision itself never saved anybody It was faith in the Lord Jehovah that saved the Jews or anybody in the Old Testament for that matter. We'll open up that thought in a few moments. The third part of Romans chapter 4 deals with something that we're going to get into today. Now we're going to move into what is known as the law, all right? There are many people today that think that you have to keep the law or the Ten Commandments. Now, a few weeks ago, I made a bigger deal on the phrase law or the law. And the reason we did that is because in the original Hebrew, you'll find that often when it's referred to as the law in English, in the Hebrew, it's just law. So when it's just law, it would refer to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, but also the 400 and plus laws, the 600 laws, and almost any command or principle that God gave that he expected his people to follow. So that's why they said law. So it really kind of painted a broader stroke. But for today, I don't want to... force an issue here, but I want to make it practical so you can understand it. I will refer to the Ten Commandments, but I don't want to restrict the law to the Ten Commandments. If you got that, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, so let's just talk about the law of the Ten Commandments for a moment. Perhaps many of you will remember about maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago, there was this big push 
um, in America to remove the Ten Commandments from the uh, plaques and, and, and signage in, in schools and perhaps some of the public court system. How many of you remember that? And of course, Christians, or whatever we might call them, uh, the religious people, they decided as a backlash, they got these little signs that they would put in their yards that had the Ten Commandments. How many remember seeing those signs in yards all over the place? Do you remember having those signs? Put your hand up if you remember that. I'm not going to ask you if you put a sign up. I'm just going to say you're doing that. Now, I understand why they were doing that because the Ten Commandments were making a stand that this is just good moral principles or good right and wrong principles. But the other challenge is that Satan would like for people to do anything they can do, even if it's a good thing to do, as long as that they don't see Jesus as the Lord and that Jesus died and rose again and by faith alone in him they could have eternal life. So all these signs went up everywhere and while we might have thought it was easier to lead people to Christ, the only thing it might have done was give us a better opportunity to open a conversation about the gospel. But it left a lot of people thinking, ooh, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, that they began to have reinforced in their thinking that you had to keep the what, everyone? Ten Commandments in order to go to heaven. So again, even today, there are many people that believe that you have to keep the law, laws, or Ten Commandments to go to heaven. And it's to that topic in this section of Scripture that we're going to address today. What about law or what about the Ten Commandments in order to be saved? Now, next week, we're going to finish the fourth of this, and that's going to be how that salvation is by faith alone in Christ. And then we'll put Romans 4 to bed, the first quarter of the book of Romans, and we'll get into all of our holiday messages. And I've got some special messages at the beginning of, of January. Are you with me so far? All right. Let's open our Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, if you don't, you can look at it on your smartphone or iPad or tablet or maybe better yet, get a Bible yourself and bring it and you can be a part of it. Let's, if you will, look at Romans chapter 4. And I'm just going to cover a few of the verses today. We're going to look at verses 13, uh, excuse me, verse 9 through verse uh, um, 16, all right, 17. All right, beginning at verse 9, it says, Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith is credit to Abraham as righteousness. Verses 9 through verse 12 will deal with the message I gave on circumcision. Verses 13 through verse 17 will deal today with the message of can the law really save us? And obviously we know the law cannot save us. So let's look at verse 13 and see how this opens up. What about the law? Verse 13 says, For the promise to Abraham, or to his, in some versions it will say seed, in the New American and others it says descendants, all right, to Abraham or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through law, not the law, through law or laws, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, if you will, take a moment and look up here because I'm going to try to draw for a moment an imaginary timeline for you. All right, you have population. You have Abram is born, okay? God then speaks to Abram. A number of years after that, Abram then trusts in the coming of the Lord. And technically, he believed in the Lord Jehovah and it was counted to him for righteousness. He was saved. Fourteen years after that, he was then circumcised. Now, listen very carefully to this next statement. The law that many people think that Abraham kept in order to go to heaven, thus substantiating you had to be saved by keeping the law. The problem with that teaching is the law wasn't given until 430 years after the time that Abraham trusted Christ. So the argument is Abraham was saved 
before circumcision. Abraham was saved before the law because Abraham was saved by faith in the Lord alone. You got that? Now I'm going to kind of twist that a little bit. This part of the scripture, he is not addressing the fact that the law came so much later. This section of scripture is addressing this truth. The truth is, the weakness of the law could never save. Implying now, it doesn't matter when the law was given, the law in itself could never save. So the argument then would say is, okay, so what if the law came later on? He was going to keep a potential law that was going to come in the future, and that got him saved. No, the law is inferior. It's anemic. It cannot save. In fact, if anything, it condemns. You're under the wrath of God, and the best that the law will do will point you to the need of a Savior because you can't save yourself by keeping the law. So the law is very anemic in all of that. On the other hand, the superiority of the truth is that salvation is by faith alone in the Lord. And today, if we fast forward with all the truth between the time of Abraham to today, it just gets um, more and more amplified to now we say it is faith in Jesus Christ who is the Messiah, who is the Lord, who died and rose again, and it's by faith alone in Him. So that's the teaching that's going on in this particular portion of Scripture. Now, a couple of weeks ago, if you recall, we were talking about the promise Remember how I said the faith, the promise that God gave? I wanted to open that up a little bit. So I've given you in your notes, and those of you that are not with us to have these notes, I urge you to write and get these. Because what I want to do is I want to give you what is the promise that was given to Abraham. And I've done it here using Genesis chapter 12, but I used letter P's. I don't like alliteration as much as maybe some people think I do. But at the same time, these are wonderful pegs for you to hold on to. So what did God promise Abraham? All right, let's look at it very quickly. Number one, he promised him that there will be a people group. And that would mean that from the time of Abraham, that's when the Jews would begin. That's the beginning of the nation of Israel, we'll say. Now, it says here, I will make you a great nation. I've given you three sets of verses to say that the people would be so much, they would be like all the dust, all the stars, all the sand, implying that you could never number how many people that would be part of this Jewish nation, this great nation. Number two, he promised them property. He says, I will bless you. And to your descendants, I will give this land. And I've given you references. So he gave them land, but he also gave them a location. Now, I don't have time to unpack this, but it's in this little section alone that you see much of the bloodshed that's going on now with the Palestinians and going on with Israel, etc., and why there's so much tension. You could also remember, those of you that were old enough to remember being alive and alert then, back in 1948 when they got their land and it was identified as their land and they now had a celebration to say, now we're seeing fulfilled prophecy. It's going back to this particular time and yet they still don't have all the land, I don't think. I think there's still some more out there to reposition it, but primarily that is the land. Number three, personally, the Lord said to Abraham, he said, I will make your name great. And if you do the study on Abraham, you're going to find him often in the Old Testament. You'll see him in different places in the New Testament. So he was very honored. If you want to look at the superhero of the Jewish people, it would be Abraham. Let me just ask you here in Hawaii, who would be perhaps the hero of the Hawaiian nation over the longest period of time? Who do you think that would be? What would his name be? Kamehameha, right? So that would be the leader. That would be the hero. Well, they had their hero, Abraham and then Isaac. Now, this gets really cool when you see Abraham and then Isaac, and we can move down to Jacob, but we'll just stop at Isaac. But let's go a little bit further. He also was given great possessions. It is the belief of many scholars 
that Abraham himself was blessed with so much property primarily, but more than that, so much um, um, flocks. He was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of servants working for him. So God really blessed him, raised him up so that he would have authority and looked upon as being either successful or have clout. The fourth is a posterity. It says, so you shall be a blessing. Now, I've listed three kinds of blessing that came out of Abraham as a promise from the Lord. One of them, he was a spiritual blessing. And we're going to get more into that today and maybe future weeks because it was through Abraham that we had our Savior. Jesus came, if you trace it all the way back, went back to Abraham. All right. In addition to that, there was a divine revelation, meaning that you will find that God spoke to us. And when it was either recorded or spoken, it went through a lot of Jewish uh, Jewishness behind it. There are many people that think all the oracles of God were given to Jews. It's quite possible, although we know that in Luke, uh, Luke wrote Luke and he wrote the book of Acts and you, titled, you total up all the words in those two books alone, they actually outnumber all the books and the words that, not books, but all the words that Paul wrote. And I don't know that Luke was a Jewish person or not. I'm, not, I'm pretty certain he wasn't. The point, the point of the matter is divine revelation came a lot through the Jewish people. Then the example of faith. And I put Romans 4 down, but if you wanted to, you could also go to uh, James chapter 2. You can also go all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, and you're going to see that Abraham is put up as a man of faith. Yeah, we know he's a friend of God. We know he started the Jewish nation. We know that there was a lot of promises given to him, but one thing we know about Abraham, he was a man of faith. Now, let me make this very clear, and you can put this in the margin. Nowhere in Scripture is it saying that Abraham was perfect. Okay, there are many times, many illustrations that would horrify families today, especially husbands and wives, if you would see what Abraham requested out of his wife. But read that for yourself later on. All right, number five, protection. He said, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you. And so there's a promise there. And I've given you a couple of examples. Pharaoh, of course, you know, and all of his men uh, lost their lives as the Red Sea poured on top of them as they were chasing out. And that was even after they lost so much in their own families before the final with Pharaoh. Then Abimelech and then Egypt. And I think if you look at it today, while there will be great uh, pain and uh, suffering with Jewish people, and there has been, especially with the Holocaust and things that we know that's coming in the future, here's my point. Listen to this very carefully. The point is this. No time, past, present, or future, no matter how small Israel will become, how few it will become in number at a time, it will never be extinguished. It will never lose Jewishness, all right? And that's the point that we're making here. But now number six is, I want you to put a star by this one, because this is really what's coming after the rest of the scripture we're going to be studying this morning. It's the word pardon here. In Genesis twelve three at the end it says, And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I put down there because there's so much other scripture to back this up that it's because it's through Abraham that Christ would come, of course, the one who would die and pay for sin. But it started with Abraham believing in the Lord Jehovah before Christ ever came to the earth. And so the whole, watch this now, this is important. It, all the people in the world would be blessed because salvation was not by circumcision. It was not by keeping the law. It was not by good works. It was strictly by faith in the Lord. And so it's through that teaching that Abraham embraced first and then through the promise that God gave to Abraham of all these other nations and all these other people, that the Savior would come. That's why there's a little bit of confusion sometimes when it says the word seed there. We know the seed refers to Christ, but the seed also re refers to the descendants of Abraham. Now let me get really technical. And those descendants of Abraham, we're not just going to talk about the flesh people, the flesh Jews. 
we're going to talk about those who place their faith in the same Lord that Abraham placed his faith in, that placed their faith in the Christ that came through the line of Abraham. So all of it is that we are children of Abraham. Do you get that? If you do, say, uh-huh. If you don't get that, call Carol later. She'll explain it to you, all right? Back to the passage. And I'm telling you, this is exciting, but it can be a little difficult. Now let me go back to the verse here, if you will. Chapter 4, verse 13 again. For the promise to Abraham. I believe that this promise in the singular, while it will encapsulate all the other promises, I believe it's more focused on the promise of the Messiah, Jesus, being the one who would die and pay for sin, and the faith in him alone, that part of the promise where all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the only way we can be blessed is not a temporal, physical blessing, but an eternal blessing. That's how we're fully blessed. So I believe that's the promise there. And then it says, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world. Again, how you become the heir of God. In fact, of the world and of God. God owns everything. So everything that becomes that he gives to Christ comes to us. We are an heir with Christ, a co-heir with Christ with everything that he has. So I'm a part of God's forever family. It was not through the law. Now, if you have your Bible, you might want to underline the word not. So again, you see the emphasis that for us and for him to have that promise, it did not come through anything that dealt with the law. In other words, it's not the keeping of the law that would give them eternal life. Now, what you want to really mark is the phrase that says, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, put that in your Bible. Mark it so every time you read that and you see that, it's through the righteousness of faith. Now, for those of you that are kind of new to this, I'm going to give you terms that you might have heard out there, but if I use them again, now you know where we're going. All right? It's the phrase, here it is, by works righteousness, and the other phrase is by faith righteousness. When we use the term by works righteousness, we're saying that people believe that you can be righteous by your works. Nowhere in Scripture can you be righteous by your works. So we still use the term by works righteousness because they're doing good works in some way to perhaps become righteous enough that God will let them into heaven or have an eternal relationship with them. We know that it's not a by works righteousness. It is a by faith righteousness. Now that faith is in Christ alone. So it's strictly by faith. So that's the emphasis in this passage. So that's why I wanted you to see verse 13. It's very critical. But it's through, very much emphasized in the Greek, through the righteousness of which we have by faith. Now, I want to answer the question, why keeping the law can't save anyone? It's found, the answers are found in this passage here. Why keeping the law can't save anyone? First of all, if keeping the law could save us, then it would make faith useless. Faith useless. Look at the verse, the beginning of verse 14. It says, for if those who are of the law, in other words, if they think they are of the law, are heirs, in other words, they are heirs of salvation because they are of the law, Faith is made void. Basically what it's saying is that if going to heaven is by keeping, watch this now, keeping the law, there is no need for faith to get to heaven. If it's by keeping the law, faith is useless. Oh, you can be faith, do all the faith you want, but it doesn't, doesn't you have, God doesn't look at faith. All he wants is the law. If you think getting to heaven is by keeping the law. Now, in your notes, I put Romans chapter eleven six. I've taken this out of a better translation of this verse, which is the New King James Version, and a couple of others. It's not so well said in the New American, although that's my, rep, my, my reference of choice. But if you look at it, follow along as I read it to you. I want you to look at it, if you will. It says, regarding the salvation concept, and it's still in Romans, it says, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. 
Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now you're looking at that saying, oh my goodness, what is he really saying there? That, that is like ting-tang, walla-walla, bing-bang. What does that mean? All right. Now look up here. All right. Ting-tang, walla-walla, bing-bang. Let's get back to this. I'm going to use one hand that says grace, the other hand that says works. If I think that it's by works that gets me to heaven, then it can't be by grace. If I think it's by grace that gets me to heaven, it can't be by works. So the point of that verse is saying, it can't be by one, it could only be by the other. In fact, it's saying you can't combine the two. They are mutually exclusive. Did you catch that? Now watch very carefully as I say it with the embodiment of all truth. Salvation is of grace and it's not of works. Therefore, going to heaven, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Maybe an earthly illustration will help you. Let's say that I'm a fisherman and I'm getting ready to get into my boat and I'm fishing by myself and my boat is tied up to the dock. It's a simple little light boat, maybe a canoe. And so I untie it over here and I untie it over there and I'm so stupid. I wasn't in the boat when I did this. So I'm on the dock and I'm untying all of this. So I have one foot on the dock and the other foot is in the canoe. And there I am. And all of a sudden the canoe takes off. But what happens? I'm neither in the canoe or on the dock, but I'm definitely in the water. What that's saying is, if you add anything to grace, it doesn't make grace grace any longer. It's polluted that. So it cannot be by works. It cannot be by grace and works. So the conclusion is, it is by grace. Let's look at the second point. Continue on in the verse. The promise then becomes worthless if I think that keeping the law could save me. For if those who are of the law are heirs, the promise is nullified. If you want, you could write the word canceled in there. It just doesn't work. It's canceled. It's it's futile, void, useless. It's canceled. Let me see if I can use another illustration. Let's say that I'm a wealthy man and I looked at you and I said, if I want to give you $100 if you'll do me one favor right here, right now. Very simple. I want you to just stand up on your seat, flap your arms, fly around the sanctuary once, and then land. You think, boy, is that weird. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, how about $1,000? I'll give you $1,000. Okay, uh, that's not going to work. How about if I give you $10,000 if you can stand up on your seat, jump up in the air, flap your arms, fly around the sanctuary, and land again? You couldn't do that. What am I basically saying is, Nothing you do could ever get you to fly around, no matter what motivation there is. So again, keeping the law is useless. No matter what I try to do, no matter how much I want to candy coat the law, there's nothing I can do in order to have eternal life. It is useless to do that. If I think keeping the law, it won't get me to heaven. All right. Now, number three. Oh, let me give you a quote here. I got this here. It was such a good quote. John Phillips, he wrote this. Listen. In other words, if the Jew could inherit the promises by his own efforts, that is, by keeping the rules of the Mosaic law, then the unconditional promise of God is made invalid. A promise is either unconditional or it isn't. There is no middle ground. If salvation is on the basis of trying, then it is not on the basis of trusting. But it is faith, not works. Grace, not law. Belief, not behavior, which is the basis and the foundation of all that God gives to us. And then, if I think that keeping the law, why it can't save me, it's because our situation becomes hopeless. Look in verse 15. 
For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is no violation. Basically, it's saying here that it's hopeless if I think I can be saved by the law because once I have the law here, it's only going to do one thing. It's going to condemn me. And therefore, if there was no law, I wouldn't break the law. If I didn't break the law, I wouldn't be condemned because there is no law to break. So that's why the law is there. Let me see if I can make some sense for you this way. The question now would be, why was the law given? Primarily, it's given for this reason. I'm going to tell you what the world will tell you. The world will tell you all religions are good. They all have little principles in there that if you live by these principles, that it makes the world a better place to live. And so religion is good because they've got these great principles to live by. How many of you have heard something very similar or almost exactly that when they talk about the value of religion? Would you raise your hand if you've heard that? Okay, now let me tell you why that doesn't work. Because if you go back to them and you say, so you think religion is really good and it's very valuable, then why don't you ask them about some of the religions of the Middle East. If we followed their teaching, what have they done to people? What have they done to women? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.